The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. So we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and as we've done so, we've seen Paul lay the foundation of the gospel. And we're now in 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to be finishing up chapter 9 this week. And as he's laid this foundation of the gospel, he began to move in chapter 7 to addressing specific questions or issues that the church in Corinth had. Specific things that they had written to him asking for advice or seeking more wisdom on. And along those lines, he spoke to the issue of marriage. He spoke to the issue of meat that had been sacrificed to idols. But specifically, and even even more specifically, as of late, he's been speaking about reaching others with the gospel and living in light of the gospel. So as we get to 1 Corinthians 9, today we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 27. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it then to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So this section serves to bridge the gap, so to speak, between Paul's discussion of sacrificing his rights for the glory of God and the good of others, which we saw last week. So sacrificing his right for the glory of God and the good of others. And chapter 10, where he deals with the issue of temptation and idolatry. And as we pick up where we left off last week, we see that Paul once again asks the question, do you not know? That's how he begins this section. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? And the point is that not only that what follows is information that they should no, but also that it's pertinent information to the topic at hand. He says you should know this, and this is very important for you to know and understand. In other words, having just told them that their decisions should be motivated by love for God and love for others, if you remember from last week, he now tells them why it is so important to live out these principles. He now says, here's why all of your decisions should be motivated by a love for God and by a love for others. He tells them that the Christian life is one that should be lived out with purpose, with passion, and with their eyes fixed on the prize. So with that in mind, let's jump right into the first point in our sermon outline. Point number one, the prize. Number one, the prize. Look at verses 24-25 through with me. He writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it then to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. You see, here we see that Paul 
uses running and boxing, two popular sports of the day, as analogies for how the Christians should live. You see, the Greeks celebrated two athletic athletic festivals. The Olympics and the Isthmian Games. The latter, the Isthmian Games, being held in Corinth. So the church in Corinth would have been very familiar with these sports and the training and competing that went into them. To the Greeks, sports was a big, big deal. And the Isthmian Games were a big deal to Corinth. So Paul is using an analogy that they can understand and relate to. And he reminds them that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Now, we would be foolish to take this analogy too far and say that Paul means that only one person will ever get to heaven. That's not his point. His point is not, we're all running, we're all competing after each other, and somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to get to heaven. Or even that there's a predetermined number of slots, and that we're all running trying to get to that number, whatever that number might be, 144,000, or whatever that number might be. His point is not that at all. What he's saying is that winning is neither easy nor automatic. He says when, you can, when you're running in a race, you run to win. And winning is neither easy nor automatic. Unfortunately, in today's world, in our culture, especially in America, people often expect something different. You know, Many people have adopted this entitlement mindset and thus have come to the conclusion that winning should be easy. And that winning should be automatic. And this, by the way, I think is a natural result of sporting events where there's no scoreboard. And awarding participation trophies. I have no problem with participation trophies. You know, I played Little League when I was little, and um, I got a participation trophy. That's great. But I didn't get the winner's trophy. I never once swung the bat. I only struck out once. But I was so short. This is just a side note. I was so short I could just bend my knees and slouch down. And I had no strike zone, so there was only one pitcher who could strike me out. So every time I got on base. I'm not against participation trophies. That's that's not the point. The point is that winners should receive trophies. It's okay. And Paul makes his point clear in verse 24. He's talking about Winning is neither easy nor automatic. And he says, run in such a way that you may win. Imagine turning on your TV and watching the Red Sox players be content to just show up and take the field. And not actually play the game. They just show up, they take the field, and they don't actually play. No! They show up and they show up to compete. At least prior to the All-Star break, that's what they do. I'm not sure what they do after that, but... The point is that athletes compete with the prize in mind. Just this past week, um, in relation to the doping scandal, I don't know if you followed any of this with Russia and some of the Russian athletes being accused of using drugs and cheating in the Olympics. I heard an athlete, an American athlete, talking about uh, competing and training. And she said that she competed in the games with the clear goal of standing on the platform and receiving the gold medal while hearing the national anthem played. She had that goal in mind. She was competing to win. And in Corinth, the prize was not a gold medal, but a wreath. The Greek word for wreath is stephanos, and it refers to a circle of leaves or that one would wear on their head, or a circle of pine that one would wear on their head. However, 
to refer to it just that way, uh, without further explanation, does injustice to the, to the word. Because we have to understand the cultural significance of the word. We wouldn't say that an Olympic athlete, that they compete, and when they win, they get a little piece of metal attached to a ribbon. Right? We say they won a medal. And whether it's gold or silver or bronze, we know and understand that these medals are a symbol of victory and great honor. That if somebody wins a medal in the Olympics, it's a sign of great, great honor. And in the same way, this Stephanos, this crown or wreath that was awarded to the winner was a symbol of victory and honor. It was just a, just a wreath. But it was what was associated with that wreath that was important. It was the the symbol of winning. So Paul makes it clear that the prize in the and that the prize that the Corinthians are seeking is different. It's different in that it's not temporal. It's not going to fade away, but it's eternal. It will last forever. He says they, these athletes, do it. They compete. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. You see. Not only will that wreath not last, but the glory and fame and honor associated with that wreath will not last. And Paul knows that. He says they're competing, and they're competing for something that's culturally important, but it's, it's not going to last. It's going to fade away. Eventually, the wreath will be gone, and the glory and the honor associated with it will be gone. Most of us can't say who won Various events in the last Olympics. I don't even remember when the last Olympics were. You see, that glory fades away. You know, I competed when I was younger in a number of martial arts tournaments. And I collected a number of trophies. And I I had in my bedroom just this wall of trophies and medals that I collected. And those trophies, by the way, were made out of plastic. So they're probably in a landfill somewhere, um, waiting another 2,000 years to decompose or however long it takes for plastic to decompose. However, even though those trophies may last, the honor received from winning them has long since faded into the distant past. It just doesn't seem to be that meaningful to me anymore. At one time, that was very important. It was very important to me. Because they represented victory and achievement. And now, they're not very important at all. And you know what? 2,000 years from now, they're going, to, they're going to be meaningless. And they're probably meaningless to you as well. Right? I don't even, in fact, I don't even know what happened to those trophies. I, my parents probably, like I said, threw them out and they're in a landfill somewhere. But the prize that Paul is talking about winning is not like those trophies. It's not even like that of an Olympic gold medal that seems to have lasting honor. The honor that lasts for a little bit longer. You see, the reward for running the Christian race is not a crown that will fade away, either physically or fade away in importance. He says this crown, it's not going to go away. It's not going to fade away into uh, obscurity either physically or in importance. Instead, it's a crown that will last forever. It's the same crown that Paul spoke of when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. Paul wrote this, Paul is approaching the end of his life, the end of his ministry, the end of his life, and he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. Can you imagine saying that? 
What a blessing it is to say that. At the end of your life to say, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And you know what? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. You see the connection between running the race and finishing the course? He says, I have kept the faith. And in the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all those who have loved His appearing. You see, the prize that Paul is speaking of is being a partaker of the Gospel. Of taking part in the Gospel. This is why just prior to this section, in verse 23, Paul says, I do all things, why? For the sake of the Gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. I do all things for the sake of the Gospel, so that I may have my share in it. It's also why he closes this section in verse 27 with these words, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You see, this book ends in 23. He says, I do this so that I can become a fellow partaker of the Gospel. And then in verse 27, I'm doing this so that I won't be disqualified so that I can have my share of the Gospel. See, Paul's point is that he wants to be a fellow partaker of the Gospel. He wants to, as the ESV says, share in the blessings of the Gospel. So the prize set before those who run the race is a share of the Gospel. He says, the prize set before me is my share in the Gospel. Therefore, I'm going to run. I'm going to run this race so that I can be a partaker of the Gospel. And what does the Gospel promise? The Gospel promises eternal life. That's what the Gospel promises. So what Paul is saying, run! He's saying, run the race! This race called life with the prize in mind. The prize of eternal life. And you may be saying, wait a minute, Pastor. Are you insinuating that somehow we're saved by works? This sounds an awful lot like works-based salvation. That somehow it's up to us to run the race of life. And if we run hard enough, if we run fast enough, that somehow we will get to eternal life. And that's not at all what I'm saying. To that I say never. That will never be the case. Our works, our striving, our running, and seeking to honor Him in all that we say and do will never, ever, ever justify us before a holy God. You see, we run and we may strive and we may seek to honor Him. But it's not because of us that we're given the gift of eternal life. It is a gift, a gift given by Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, I'm not saying that our works, our striving, will indeed justify us before God. However, what I am saying is being justified by God will indeed cause an individual to run, to strive, and to seek to honor Him. You see, He is the one who enters us into the race. God is the one who enters us into the race. And He also is the one who keeps us in the race. In other words, He's the one who saves, and He's the one who grows. That's why Peter, in 1 Peter 1, verses 3-5, through he just erupts into praise. Reflecting on God, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He's the one who caused us to be born again 
to obtain what? An inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Sound familiar? Reserved in heaven for you who are protected, how? By the power of God. Not through your efforts, but who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, God saved you. It's by His great mercy that you were born again. And He's giving you this inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled. It's not going to fade away. And you're protected in that inheritance by God. And God is going to reveal it in the last day for you. Therefore, Paul says, run! Run toward that goal. How could you do anything but run the race? When you've been placed in the race. When God empowers you to run the race. So having seen point number one, the prize, namely that of eternal life, that the prize is the gift of eternal life. Now let's consider the second point in our sermon outline. The second point is, number two, the passion. Number two, the passion. I originally used the term preparation. So if you look in your bulletin, you'll see the word, you'll see the second point is the preparation. Because I was thinking of a training or the training that an athlete goes through in leading up to the competition. However, I think the term passion describes what Paul is talking about here even better. See, running the race for the Christian is an ongoing event. It's a lifelong event. And I don't want to use the term preparation to cause you to think that somehow we prepare, we get ready, and then we just kind of, that's it. We coast. We live the rest of our lives no longer preparing. Instead, in some sense, we're preparing, we're training, even while running. That it goes on, it continues. We're running the race and we're training all at the same time. We're preparing ourselves for what lies ahead in the course constantly. So we're training while running. And there's a passion that exists in that. Look at verses 25 through 27. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it then to receive a perishable wreath. So these athletes, they exercise self-control, but they're doing it just for this prize that's going to fade away. But we, verse 25, an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, and I box in such a way as not beating the air. He says, but I discipline my body. Instead of that, I discipline my body and I make it my slave. You see, the words that jump off the page here are self-control and discipline. The Christian life is indeed one of self-control and discipline. The word self-control is the Greek word I need to slow down to pronounce this one, right? Enkratuomai. It's the Greek word enkratuomai. And it means exactly what you think it might mean. To have control over oneself. Novel idea. Self-control means to have control over oneself. An athlete understands the need to exercise self-control. They're not controlled by their bodies or their thoughts or their desires. Instead, they control those things. Instead of letting their stomach or their taste buds dictate whether they should eat, instead of saying, well, you know, the fellowship luncheon is next week and maybe I should go back and have seconds or thirds or fourths of Kim Smith's famous brownies, Instead, they exercise self-control over their stomachs. And they say no to their desires. 
You see, in the same way, the Christian life is marked by not letting our appetites control us, but instead controlling our appetites. Just because we're desirous of something does not make it right. In fact, our sinfulness causes us to often desire that which is wrong. Paul says, I run in such a way as not without aim. He's saying, I tell my legs where to go. I don't let them tell me where they're going to take me. And furthermore, he says, using the second analogy, the second sporting analogy of boxing, he says, I tell, I box in such a way as not beating the air. Again, I tell my arms and legs where and how to move. Can you imagine if the opposite was the case? Can you imagine a runner gets up and, and he's ready and the, the starting gun goes off and he just kind of runs wherever. He's not following the track. He's just running to and fro, runs up in the stands and runs here and there and everywhere. And he says, well, I was just letting my legs take me. I was just letting them take me wherever they willed. Or a boxer gets in the ring and he just starts swinging at the air. He says, I'm not going to be a runner who just runs any old direction. I'm going to be a runner who runs toward the goal. I've got my eyes fixed on the goal. When I box, I'm going to box in such a way that I'm not beating the air, but instead I'm telling my arms and my legs where to move, where to go. I have control over my body. The other word, discipline, discipline literally means to give a black eye. Excuse me. The word discipline means to give a black eye. And it refers to rough treatment for the sake of gaining control. So when Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave, he's saying, I treat my body harshly so that I may bring it under subjection. A runner doesn't say, well, when I run, my my lungs hurt, you know? So I figure I'd better not run. I mean, you know, Matt has taken up running and uh, uh, Matt doesn't take up running. He doesn't leave and go, well, you know... When I run, this thing happens. My legs, they get sore, so I better not run. Or my lungs hurt when I run, so I, I got to stay home. Or I get, like, my body sweats when I run. He doesn't let his body control him. Instead, he controls his body. A runner pushes his body. He subjects his lungs to pain so that he can get stronger and run further. Not only did I do martial arts in high school, I also ran track. Uh, I was not as dedicated to track as I was martial arts. I ran distance, so oftentimes the assignment for the day, the track team would show up and they'd each have on the wall their assignment for what they were supposed to do. And the distance runners, it would just say, run five miles, run seven miles, run eight miles. So there's no supervision, so you're in high school, so what do you do? You decide you just go run out into the woods and you sit down, and you wait like an hour, hour and a half, then you run back and you're like, whoo, that was exhausting, right? I didn't, I didn't make my body my slave. I didn't push my body. Instead, I let my body control me. And you know what happened when the race came? It didn't look so good, right? There's everybody running around the track, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to die, right? And I'm taking up the end, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm not going to make it. But there was one guy, a good friend of mine today, who I didn't know at the time, but he was on the team. He always trained, and he trained with perseverance, Matt Payson always ran, and he ran hard. And that guy still runs today. I couldn't run from here to the door. 
Because I didn't, I didn't make my body my slave. You see, an athlete is not a slave to his or her body. Instead, he subjects his body to slavery. In other words, their bodies serve them, not the other way around. You see, the body needs to be brought into subjection. And our culture, by the way, has it completely backwards. When it espouses that we should submit to our desires. Instead, we must bring our desires into subjection and submit them to what is lawful, what is profitable. We must bring our desires into subjection. Just because we have a desire doesn't mean we should pursue it. You see, we should be, as Paul advised the Corinthians, asking ourselves, is this lawful? Is it profitable? Is it going to have mastery over me? Instead, our culture says, well, if you desire it, it must be right. And that's not a Christian concept, by the way, that we're supposed to have mastery over our bodies or that we shouldn't submit to every desire. That's just a good, plain, common sense principle that every Joe who's a believer or not a believer should understand. That we don't eat every cookie we can eat. We don't rob a bank because we want a motorcycle. We subject ourselves and we control our desires by examining what is lawful and what is profitable. So an athlete, whether a runner or a boxer or whatever, he trains and he competes with passion, making his body his slave. You see, the athlete has the goal, the prize in mind, and they pursue that prize with exercising self-control and discipline along the way. And in the same way, the Christian is called to pursue eternal life, exercising self-control and discipline all along the way. So having seen number one, the prize, namely eternal life, and number two, the passion, the self-control and discipline is part of our daily experience as believers, as we run the Christian life, as we run the race, so to speak. Now let's consider our third and final point in our sermon outline. The third and final point is number three, the purpose. How convenient. It begins with P. Number three, the purpose. Look at verses 26 through 27 with me. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul says that he exercises self-control and discipline so that he will not be disqualified. The word disqualified refers to being proven worthless. He knows the same reality as James 2, which speaks of faith without works being dead or worthless. He says, I don't want to just preach to others only to find that my faith is worthless, that it's dead. He doesn't want to preach to others without himself experiencing genuine saving faith. You see, he's not satisfied with being only a proponent of the gospel. His desire is also to be a partaker of the gospel. The same Greek word that's translated disqualified also appears in 2 Corinthians 13.5. There we read this. Test yourselves. Paul writes to the Corinthians later on, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. 
Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail the test. And the the fail the test there is the same Greek word for disqualified. Unless, he says, Jesus is in you. Unless, you're disqualified. Almost in a sense, unless, he's not. Maybe he's not in you. You see, Paul understood that a life lived without self-control and without discipline is the life of one who is disqualified. That being a Christian is not about saying a prayer. It's not about walking an aisle. It's not about coming down front and saying, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus and now I've got eternity and I can do whatever I want. Instead, it's about submitting everything in our lives to Jesus Christ. And we never get there, by the way. It's the, don't hear me say that I'm submitting everything to Jesus. I'm saying every day I get up and I repent for not submitting everything to Jesus. That I desperately am trying to submit to Jesus. And my flesh, my flesh is weak. My spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I repent, and by God's grace, He's growing me. He's growing me and saying, keep on with the self-control. Keep on with the discipline. Keep on serving me. You see, Paul wasn't happy to be a spectator in the race. He wanted to be a participant. You know, I get a kick out of the people who, whenever the New England Patriots or the Boston Red Sox win a championship or the the World Series or the Super Bowl, I always hear people saying things like, we did it! We won! And I think, really? Did you really have much of a part in it? I mean, did you? You see, I may very well understand the goal. I've seen the commissioner's trophy. Um, Last year, last year I got to go to a Red Sox game, um, and I got to sit in the EMC club seats, and where they have the the World Series trophies behind the glass, and there's the restaurant there. It was it was awesome. I got to sit there and get to see the trophies. And I got to see them up close and personal. There's only like that much glass separating me and those trophies. So I understand the prize. I know what the prize is. And by the way, I'm passionate about the prize. It's my intent to cheer them on this year, right? So that I can see them take home that prize yet again. However, I'm not really a participant in the process. I may understand the prize, I may have passion about the prize, but I'm not a participant. I assure you that if I throw on a uniform and I head down, right, and I, and I run on the field with the Red Sox uh, uniform on, they're going to say, hey, wait a minute, you're not qualified to be out here. And furthermore, every player, even if he is on the team, must clearly understand how the prize is won. He understands the rules of the game and how the prize is won. And if those players don't go after the prize the right way, i.e. they use drugs or they cheat, they will be disqualified. You see, you have to go after the prize in the right way. You can't just value the prize and think you can get the prize any way you want. I couldn't smash the glass, take home the prize, and think that somehow I've now won the World Series trophy. I'm a World Series champion. Look at me, I've got the trophy. So in our text... The prize is eternal life. And the only way to win the prize is to be found in Jesus Christ. The only way 
to achieve that prize is through Jesus. And one may be desirous of eternal life. They may even be passionate about eternal life. Suicide bombers are, right? The suicide men fly planes into buildings. They are passionate about the prize. They're passionate about eternal life. But they don't understand the way to get to the prize. There's only one way to get the prize, and that's through Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father. No man gets the prize. No man gains heaven but through me. You see, Paul understood the purpose of fixing his eyes on the prize. He understood, I need to fix my eyes on eternity. And I need to be passionate about the race. But I'm doing so not to just merely be a spectator. Or not just to think about eternity, but also to be a participant. So that I too may actually receive the prize. I don't want to just be passionate about the prize. I want to receive the prize too. I want to be a participant, Paul said. See, Paul understood the call to live for Jesus. He understood the call to run the race and to be found in Christ running to win. So as we review, Paul speaks of number one, the prize, namely that of eternal life. Number two, the passion, the self-control, the discipline, seeking after the prize. And number three, the purpose. The purpose of being a participant in the Gospel. Not just a proponent of the gospel, not just seeking after the prize any way that he might think he, may, he can seek after the prize, but instead to be a participant in the way in which the prize is won. See, we fix our eyes on the prize and we have passion for the prize so that we might one day receive the prize. So the question is how do we apply all of this, both individually and corporately, specifically here at Harmony Bible Church? How do we take this text that Paul has written to the church in Corinth, how do we apply it to our lives specifically here at Harmony? Well, number one, we must run the race with the prize in mind. We have to run the race with eternity in mind. You know, we have to remember that there's more at stake than what this life has to offer. That this life offers riches, it offers satisfaction, and they're real riches, and they're real satisfaction, they're real good things. The, the things of this world are not all bad, but there's so much more than what this world offers. And we'll be short-sighted if we only set our eyes on the things of this world. This life is but a vapor. So don't pursue prizes that have little or no value. Martial arts trophies, or motorcycles, or Whatever those things are. And you know what? I venture to guess that we could all go into each other's homes and probably find pretty quickly what those things are. Kind of a sad commentary in many respects that many of us could go into each other's homes and say, ah, this might be a prize. This might be something you're pursuing that shouldn't be there. Or maybe that you're putting too much focus on. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When you look at your life, when others look at your life, are they saying, there's one who's running the race. There's one who, by God's grace, when they get to the end of their life, they'll say, I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the course. Or will they say, wow, there's a guy who had an awful lot of Elvis records. Or whatever, right? Big deal. I've never said this before, but I've never sat beside somebody in the hospital bed, in a hospital bed as they're dying, and had them say, if only I'd finished my collection. Never. Or if only I'd made $10,000 more. Or if only I'd gotten that house on the lake, or the house on the ocean. Or if only I'd bought a private, whatever. Instead, we need to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We must run the race with eternity in mind. And number two, we must run the race with passion. We must exercise self-control and discipline. We have to subject ourselves, our bodies, our will, our desires to the will of God. And we need to ask for help in directing our passions. And by the way, we can by properly equipping ourselves with the tools that He has given us. He's given us great tools. He's equipped us with the armor of God that we can put on. He's given us His Word. He's indwelt us with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells inside of us that He lives in us and gives us the strength to live for Him and for His glory. So therefore, we, we cry out to Him and exercise self-control and discipline and say, I'll beat my body. I'll buffet my body. I'll do whatever I need to do so that I can run this race with passion. And number three, we must run the race with purpose. We must run the race with purpose. The purpose being to be found in Him and bring Him glory. See, we must not be content to just be a spectator. But we must also desire to be a participant. Paul says, in this context, he's saying, I become all things to all people so that I might save some. He says, I am all about sharing the gospel. I'm about laying down my rights so that I can witness to others and I want to be also a participant in the gospel. You know, I wonder how many people don't share the gospel because they don't believe the gospel. I wonder how many people don't live out the gospel in front of others because they don't understand the gospel. I wonder how many people sit in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and never speak to their lost and dying friends and neighbors because they themselves are not, are not a partaker of the gospel. They're proponent. I go to church. I cheer the pastor on when he preaches. See, we must stand with Paul who understood the purpose of life. The same Paul who I want to close with wrote in Philippians 3, verses 8-14, through 14, he wrote these words. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, my charge to us today is let us also press on toward the goal. Let us press on toward the goal with passion and purpose. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You that You enter us into the race and You will carry us through the race. God, I pray that we would rely on the strength that You provide to press on, to press on, to focus on the goal, not the things of this world, but instead the things of another world, the things of heaven. God, that we would press on with passion. That we would no longer submit to our desires, to our own will, but instead submit to Your will, to have our eyes fixed in the direction of heaven, and that we may run. That we may run with purpose so that we will not be disqualified, but instead will be found in You, so that when we reach heaven, we may hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. God, give us the grace we need to that end. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.